Uh, take your Bibles now, and uh, maybe you could roll, turn this down just a little bit, Esai, or roll some of the mids off there. It's just kind of a little feedback up here on stage. But open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 18, and we're going to read verses 8 all the way through 14, then I'm going to pray. Beginning in verse 8 is where we left off, and this is what Jesus said after he concluded the parable of the persistent widow. This is what he said. Jesus said, I tell you that he will avenge them, that's God, speedily, nevertheless, and I imagine he stroked his beard at that point, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? That's a crazy question. Jesus looking to his listeners about the persistent widow who continued to plead and plead and plead until she got her way, and then Jesus used that as a contrast that that's not the way we need to pray, that when we pray, God hears. We don't need to persist in that, that pestering way, but instead, unlike the judge who wouldn't listen, la, 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 until he was overwhelmed, finally relented, the opposite is true of our God whose ears are ever open to his kids. And Jesus said, even though that's true, though, even though God is always listening, I wonder if when he shows up, people will be talking to him. I wonder if he'll really find faith on the earth. Now, the Bible says to you and to me to cast our cares on the Lord, knowing that he cares for us. He willingly asks you to bring to him your worries one by one and bring to you your situations. But how many of you are like me? You just have a big old backpack. You carry him real close. You know, like, I got some big things going on. I need a double, a fanny pack this week. I got so much going on. And the Lord's like, what are you doing? Bring that to me. And you're like me. You're a doer. You, you do stuff. You're a worker bee. I'll just get this done. Head down, tail up. Maybe it's even unspiritual, unholy things that you have to deal with. It's finances or it's chores or it's relationships. And yet the Lord's right there with his ear going, will I really find anybody bringing stuff to me? Will I really? And maybe in that question, that theoretical question, maybe a bunch of Pharisees sitting around there said, yeah, for sure, just follow me, you will. And a bunch of nodders, you know what I'm saying? I love nodders at church, you know, nodders and highlighters. And I'm a nodder too. I like to engage in the sermon. And it helps me out, by the way. Now, if you start nodding too much, that's called nodding off. <laughs> and if the person next to you nods off, you have my permission to give them a holy nudge. Just bang, you know. I'm actually not kidding, so don't, no, don't nod off. Jesus asked this question. And then in verse 9, Luke tells us, Luke who wrote this, Luke says, also he spoke this parable, another parable, to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Jesus is like a sniper with his sermons. He, he would speak sermons right to people's hearts and minds and ears based on what they were dealing with and going through, based on the conclusions that they had come to, and if they needed drastic correction, Jesus would give them what they needed. And if they needed drastic comfort and healing, Jesus would give them exactly what they needed. And Jesus is able to, through one teaching, give to one person what they need and to another person what they need. And what these guys needed was a correction because they had trusted in themselves that they were righteous. And then the fruit of it was they looked down on other people. They had contempt. That is disrespect for others. Now, when it says that he spoke this to a group of people, religious people, Pharisees, that had this mindset, most of us in here nod. Yeah, they sure need that correction. Trusting themselves, thinking they're righteous, looking down on other people. Bunch of fools. And we do the same thing that they're doing. 
And we find ourselves, I believe all of us today, able to not only receive from God that comfort that you need, that I need so desperately, but also if we're wise to say, Lord, who am I in this story? Lord, am I trusting in myself? Do I think I'm righteous because of what I've done or because of what I've not done this week? And Lord, God forbid, am I looking down and despising other people? So Jesus, knowing that there was religious people amongst him, and so too at the 9 a.m. and the 11 and the 6, and later on at my own home, there'll be religious people gathered around the table because I'll be there. Jesus speaks this parable because he cares for us. Here's the parable. I'll read it, then pray. Verse 10, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood, and he prayed thus with himself. (laughs) Anyways, he said, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, Democrats. No, he didn't say that. No, that's not what it says. Republicans. No, that's not what it says. I'm, I'm not, he's looking at all the people. I'm glad I'm not like him, her, them, those, they. And he's looking at the list. And he even gets right to his buddy, his prayer buddy. He says, I'm glad I'm not even like this tax collector. He goes on then to boast and toot his whistle. Verse 12, I fast twice a week, which was way more than required in those days. In those days, for a good Pharisee, you were only required to fast once per year. At most, a little more often, but twice per week was quite aggressive, and he had been pretty proud of himself for fasting and the way he ate. Now, some of you are thinking, I eat fast food every week. What's the big deal? <laughs> different, different subject, different subject. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. I'm a giver and a doer. And then the tax collector, verse 13, this is the contrast of the two in this parable. Standing afar off, he wouldn't even so much raise his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. This contrast, this Pharisee, they both go to pray was praying with himself. The other was crying out to God. One saw himself as righteous and able and better than everyone because of what he had done and the things he'd done were good. Fasting in order to deny himself, giving of his tithes and offerings, yet it had been done with his own strength and for his own glory. And then the other guy, the tax collector, which you guys know, tax collectors were horrible then. They're not so good now. The IRS is here. I apologize for that. Taxes. In those days, they would employ, Rome would employ a Jew to enforce taxes upon other Jews. So this was a Jewish man who had been hired by Rome, who they opposed and who was oppressing. And this Jewish man would then impose taxes upon his brethren, taking their money unlawfully, more for himself and some to them. And this was an extortioner's dream. This guy knew that he was a crook. And when he comes into the temple, he's a Jew. He knows how to pray. He knows how to tithe. He knows how to fast. He probably hadn't been doing any of that. When he shows up, he knows he's not righteous. And so instead of raising his eyes to God, he doesn't even look up. Instead of getting near, he's afar off. Have you been in this place before where you're so wrecked and crying out for the Lord's mercy? Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Let's look at the conclusion, and then we'll go through and apply it to our own lives. Verse 14, Jesus says, I tell you 
This man, that's the collector of taxes, went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Last night as I read verse 14, one final time through in my study time, I, I, I lowered my head quickly, fearfully almost. He who exalts himself will be humbled. It's a promise. And I, I shielded myself. I was like, ah, you know, I've probably done that. I for sure have done that. Exalted myself in my own eyes or in the eyes of my friends. I've tried to become more or assume more than I really am. And Jesus says, don't do that. But instead, if you humble yourself, you will be exalted. God loves to show off his kids. God, God loves to parade his kids. When they have the right mindset, when they understand where their righteousnesses come from, where they're not proud of themselves, but they're proud of the one who has saved them. Let's just pray and ask the Lord now to open up our hearts that we might find ourselves in one of these two characters or in both a little bit and then make adjustments. Okay, I think we're, we're both a little bit of each of these men and we need to find out what the Lord would have for us today. Jesus, we pray now in your name, thanking you for this time gathered together, the time of worship, the time of fellowship, Lord, a time of prayer, a time now of study. Lord, this will conclude in a time of communion and breaking of bread. And we thank you for this day, the Lord's day. And we ask, Lord, for a cleansing to happen now. In Jesus' name. Jesus, I believe you are indeed that sharp shooter shepherd that knows what his sheep need today. You know where the sheep are in this room right now that are upside down, stuck in a ditch. And you're going to go after them and grab them and put them right back on their feet. You know the sheep right now that are munching on stuff they shouldn't be munching on. They've gotten into some weird stuff. And you're going to direct them. Say, no, no, come back here. Here's the good stuff. You know your sheep that are here this morning, Lord, or they just wandered off and they're, bah, bah, they're freaking out. They don't know where they're at. They're lost. You're going to find them. Lord, you know your sheep that just have been beat up by the world. They've been wounded, hurt, attacked, abused, and they need healing. They need that oil. They need cleansing. Lord, you're the shepherd. You also know, Lord, that sheep that's just kind of running around, rebellious. Pride has crept in, and things are not where they need to be. Lord, whatever the case is, we submit to you as your sheep, and we ask you to have your way. Your rod and your staff, they comfort us, and we ask, Lord, that you'd be honored in what we do today. Lord, I submit myself to you as your teacher. Please, Lord, in Jesus' name, take, Lord, this humble offering and use it to glorify yourself and to bring good to your body. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said... Amen. Let's actually go right back into prayer real quick, because I said I was going to pray for Clyde. Lord, we also pray for Clyde Smith in Jesus' name, that right now, Lord, that you would bless him in his ministry, Lord. Bless his faith. May it be contagious to other men and women. Bless his safety, Lord, that region over there that's so war-torn and earthquake-torn and tsunami-torn and impoverished, Lord. May there just be love. May love, Lord, heal many wounds today. Thank you for all the ministry partners we have over there. Minister to them. Thank you again for using South Beach Church the way you do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, I'll tell you what. Jesus here is journeying towards Jerusalem, and as he's on his way to Jerusalem, he's giving to us a bunch of high-caliber teachings in order to prepare us for our lives before we find ourselves going to that same kingdom where he would eventually go. And he's asking us to live in that mindset of the kingdom coming and the kingdom now. That is the kingdom of man and the kingdom of God. There are two parallel kingdoms. Matter of fact, Colossians chapter 3 says this. You who've been raised with Christ, and that's a good question. If that's you, that's me. 
You who've been raised with Christ now set your mind on things above, not on things below, but instead pursue the things that God wants you to pursue. And he wants us to both be here in the now doing stuff, raising kids, buying groceries, driving on the right side of the road, unless you're in Europe, doing stuff right, but also anticipating his kingdom coming. And he makes sure we know that. He wants us to be engaged, and he wants us to take this life very seriously. And I hope you are. I know I am, because I know that what we do here matters for what's coming next. Let me just ask you that question. Do you, guys, you guys know that, right? Every decision you make here, every action you take, everything you do actually counts for eternity. It's kind of a big deal. It's kind of a big deal. And so the Lord warns us. And he told us a couple weeks ago that when you're trespassed against once, twice, thrice, four, five, six, seven times, just keep forgiving that person. This will change everything. I've gotten so many messages over the last six weeks from people saying that changed my life. I was finally able to forgive my fill in the blank. I was finally able to let that go. I was fine. I'm walking in freedom for the first time ever forgiveness. Jesus said it's going to be impossible that you should get through life without offenses. Like you're going to get dinged around. You're going to get messed up. What's the result? What's the answer? Forgive. I've seen the guy that spit on my car five weeks ago. Remember that guy? I've seen him three times now, okay, in public. And each time my adrenaline kind of, whoa, there he is, you know. And I have all these cool ideas of what I could say and just all these, I don't know if you guys have an imagination. My imagination starts going, you know, and, 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 I, and what I really want to do is just mess with them. I just want to mess with them. And I haven't done that. And, and I just, I don't think, I think the Lord says, Luke, I want you to love them. I really want you to love them. What a treat to love somebody who's hurt you, to, somebody that's not been kind to you. It's just, it's just supernatural. It's not normal. I think it was about a year ago, we got um, robbed here at South Beach Church. Some doors were broken into, and a bunch of musical equipment was stolen on a, on a Saturday night. And we didn't even know it was gone. We came to Sunday Church, and we're doing stuff. We didn't even know it was gone until I got a tip from somebody on the street that said they knew where all our stuff was. I said, what stuff? You know, and, we started, and, and so, so me and Pastor Marty went over to this guy's house, this kind of like, you know, this house of, of darkness and stuff. And, and I, I actually wanted to go in all cowboy styles. Like, should we call the cops or just go in there and get our stuff? You know, and Marty, with his wisdom, like, I think we should call the cops, you know, and so we called the cops, and cops showed up, and we, we went in there, found all of our loot there, more stuff than we knew was gone, and when they brought the guy out of his hiding zone, I mean, the guy was tatted on his necks, and did not look like a good guy, he looked like a, an angry raccoon had been caught, you know, and he walked right by us, and whoa, and that guy's still lodged in Lincoln County Jail, he's facing many uh, things, uh, all, there's actually a murder charge on his rap sheet, and, and the Lord's impressed on my heart, he's like, you know what you could do, Luke, you could go in there, and you could tell them that you forgive them. And just sit there between the glass, of course, because you don't ever want to get too close to a raccoon, you know. <laughs> they actually wouldn't let me close, you know. And I, and I thought, man, what if that changed his whole life? He's, got, he's, got, he's not had an easy life, I can just tell. I mean, part of my heart breaks for him because he didn't get life handed to him prepackaged. And, and Jesus said, hey, guess what? In life, you're going you're gonna to interact with people that are not going to do perfectly. They're not going to do right. And one way you could save yourself from a lot of heartache and actually liberate people is forgive. Forgive them. It's the answer. It's the rules of engagement. It's how we live in this kingdom, hoping for the next. 
Then Jesus, in the last couple of weeks we've learned, gave them the warnings of Sodom and Gomorrah and days of Noah and how we're going to see things rise up and turn into turmoil and chaos and disruption and distraction. And Jesus said, I want you guys to take a stand. I don't want you guys to remember Lot's wife. Don't doubt like she did. Don't linger like she did. And don't look back like she did. It'll halt your entire walk with Jesus. He told him then the parable of the persistent widow and, and the judge who wouldn't budge until she bugged him. He said, our God's not like that. And you're not looked upon as a widow who's powerless and uncovered. You're looked on upon as my bride who's covered and appreciated. You're, you've got access to me. And he wants to avenge you. And, and last week, the prayer, or should I say the sermon was on prayer, persistent prayer and thoughtful prayer and, and purposeful prayer. And then I asked you guys to pray. I'm just going to ask you, how was your prayer life last week? Was it, was it more or less, or did you find yourself busy and, and not prayerful? You prayed a little bit more. Uh, I'm, I'm excited for this week to start again so I can try again to pray more. And uh, you're never going to pray or read unless you schedule it in. Okay, it's just not going to happen. You're not going to find yourself accidentally tucked away in your prayer closet with the candles lit and the music playing in your Bible like, how'd I get here? What the heck, you know? You will find yourself accidentally like deep three hours into Facebook like, where am I? You know, that'll be accidental every time. Jesus said, I want you to pray. Remember what he said? He prefaced the parable this way. And then he taught them that men ought not to lose heart, but to pray always. We could, I could hear that message every single day. Don't lose heart, Luke. Keep praying. Keep reading. Read your Bible and pray every single day. And he asks them that question. Am I going to see this when I return? Is this what I'm going to find? And I just wonder if the people there, the fans, the foes, the followers, started to nod and say, yeah, of course you will. Look at us. And so then he gives them this parable, the parable I already read to you of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Now, a parable is a little story that illustrates a big principle. It's just a little story that shows us a foundational truth. It's a little story that creates a window into theological application and understanding. God's principles and truths don't change. They don't need our help. They don't need adjustment. They don't need to adapt or move along. But they do need, in my opinion, windows so we can look into those truths and say, oh, that makes sense now that we wouldn't find ourselves justified in our own eyes. And so when Jesus tells this parable, here's the thing you need to consider. He tells a parable to answer a question. The question being asked here in this parable is this. Here's the question we're going to seek to answer today. How can a person be righteous? How can a person find themselves justified? One guy's a Pharisee. He would be considered very holy, one guy's a tax collector. He would be considered unholy. Both men go to the temple, a holy place. Both men pray. And yet only one leaves righteous and justified. Both men go to a holy place. Both men do a holy thing. Both men leave only one man, and it wasn't the holy man, the religious man. It was the unholy man, the irreligious man. Matter of fact, I don't feel qualified to teach this lesson, but it's my turn to teach, so I have to. But I'm so thankful to put this together to study it and I always pray Lord I don't want to just give blah blah a bunch of you know words I want this to come from my heart I want to own it first and I want it to steep and produce fruit and if you could really understand what Jesus is getting at in this message it will set you free from contempt towards others from shame in yourself like this man as he beat his breast and wouldn't even look up God be merciful to me a sinner 
mercy. And the Lord gave it to him. So you wouldn't mistakenly be like this man who actually had a good week, fasted twice, gave tithes, did everything right on his list, didn't do anything wrong on his list, showed up to church, woo, feeling good. And the Lord's like, really? Wow. You're not righteous in my eyes. Whoa. I, I don't want to be that guy. And Jesus here gives this parable to you and to me that we would learn it. Now, again, one guy is holy. He's a Pharisee. He works for the church. He does a holy thing. He prays. He goes to a holy place, the temple, and yet he leaves unholy. This would be very confusing to the audience in that day. It's, that doesn't make any sense. A tax collector goes away righteous. Time out. Technical foul. Red flag. Challenge flag on the field. What's going on here, Jesus? The question again, how can a person be righteous? This would be very confusing because we judge people. We do. They do. Everyone does by the outside appearance. This is what we do. We, we look at people. We summarize them. We see what they're doing, where they've been, where they're going. We say, oh, righteous or unrighteous. We have our own scale. We, we love to do this, and we also do this to ourselves. We look at our little lists that we've put together, and we judge ourselves, and we either give ourselves a high score or a low score, depending on what we've done or not done. And the fallout and the byproduct is, is having contempt towards others, which I think is the most offensive part of this entire story, where these two men are praying, and one is so disappointed in this guy. Look at his life. Look at what he does. Look who he is. Based on who I am and what I've done and what I'm doing. Not looking up even higher to what God sees and what God declares. And also looking at the external and not the internal. The biggest offense here is that this Pharisee trusted in himself and his own righteousness. You ever trusted in yourself before? You ever just been so proud of yourself? Even in the midst of your like pride and foolishness. I remember one time I, uh, one time, I remember when I got arrested in 1998 for fake IDs, and I was arrested and released right on the scene, and they gave me three citations and came to my house the next day and gave me three more because there was some other evidence and all the rest, and it was, you know, super fun. And, uh, and, and when that happened, they gave me a whole bunch of fines, and they said, here's your fines, Mr. Frechette, and pay them on time, and you'll, you know, get out of this hole, and here's your probation, and all this other stuff. And so I wasn't necessarily too humbled by all that. I was a little humbled, but not totally humbled. And, and so I didn't make my payments for the first three months, you know. I was like, well, I'll get, get around to it, you know. And, and uh, so when I went there to make a payment one day, I remember I walked in, I said, hey, I'm a couple months late here, let's just settle up. And she said, oh, there's three warrants for your arrest, Mr. Frechette, and, you know, welcome to the real world, dude, you know. And I was like, whoa, you know. And she said, well, it's not a big deal. They just got issued yesterday. Why don't you come and talk to the judge tomorrow, Judge Alan Drescher. He'll be there tomorrow, Tuesdays, and just show up and just, you know, plead your case. And I was like, okay, I'll do that. And so what I did is I went to my employer, Daniel Greenblatt, at the time. I said, hey, Daniel, I got to tell you a few things about your number one employee here, who I am and what's really going on. And, and I asked him for a draw on my paycheck so I could have extra money. And so what I did is I went to this courtroom and I waited for my name to be called. And I went and sat down before the judge and I explained to him my case. And I told him, hey, judge, here's, here's what I'm going, going through, and I owe you this much money. I'm three months behind, so what I'm going to go ahead and done, I've got double what I owe you right now, all three months plus double that. I'm going to give you that right now, and, and I'm going to go ahead and show you how I can get myself out of this hole. And Judge Drescher, I, I, maybe he was given discernment. Maybe he didn't have coffee. I don't know what was going on. <laughs> and he just looked at me. He said, put your money away. And he looked at the, the recorder there, and he said, I'm going to double your sentence. All your fines right now, doubled. 
And I'm also going to include onto that, I'm going to sentence you to 90 days in Jackson County Jail. I've never been to jail, hadn't been sentenced to jail yet. You're going to jail for 90 days. I'm going to suspend your driver's license for a year and a half. I'm going to double your probationary period. And he started throwing as many books at me as he could find. He's looking for our books and throwing books. And while he's talking, I looked behind me at the rest of the court, and they were, because of the offense, it was so small. But I believe the real problem was is that I had sought to justify myself. I had sought to excuse myself. To represent. I said, hey, I got this figured out, judge. I know what I'm doing. And I didn't know what I was doing, and I wasn't able to justify myself. And I believe in that courtroom, he saw within me contempt for the courts and all of that. And he said, you need to pay. Now, crazy uh, follow through another four, five, six years into the future. I was at the YMCA in Ashland. I saw Judge Alan Drescher there working out. And I was able to go up to him in the locker room, and I said, you sentenced me to 90 days in jail. And he's kind of like, you know, backing up. And I was like, no, no, no. I said, it changed my life. Now, you guys all know I didn't actually have to fulfill all 90 days. They suspended 87 of those days. I had to go for weekends and just a taste, just a taste to see what it was like. And although that was part of my probationary period. But I told Alan Drescher, I said, thank you for doing your job, for holding me accountable, for helping me to get to the lower part of my life. Because God used that experience to one of many experiences in my messy life to humble me. The question I asked you, though, is have you ever trusted in yourself? Let me ask you a different question. Who do you trust in? And you're the 9 a.m. crowd. I think you guys get this. But there was a Pharisee, a religious leader, who went up to the temple, and Jesus saw that he trusted in himself for his own righteousness. The question is, who do you trust in? Where do you get your righteousness from? Here's another question. Who do you look down on? What, what people do you have contempt towards? Now, I asked my kids last night, Noah, uh, Nemo and Acacia, some of these questions, I rephrased them uh, in age-appropriate terms. And the question that I wanted to pose to them was, uh, where do you get your righteousness from? So I changed it. I said, who's going to heaven? The righteous people go to heaven. And so, so I asked Noah and Nemo and Acacia privately. I brought them all into a room, and I, and I grilled them. They all thought they were in trouble. So, so fun. <laughs> so fun to make them feel like they're in trouble when they're not in trouble. Because this is fun. It was fun. And so I brought Noah, and I said, okay, Noah, first question. Who is going to heaven? Noah's 10, but the most VBS you know, sessions, he's got the most reps at Sunday school, he knows, all, he knows his stuff. So I said, who's going to heaven? And he said, anyone who believes in Jesus. I said, okay, perfect. I said, are you going to heaven, Noah? He said, yes. He looked at me kind of you know, scared. And I said, why are you going to heaven, Noah? He said, because I believe. And I said, who is not going to heaven? And he said, people who don't believe. I said, okay, perfect. Four out of four, get out of here. <laughs> Nemo, your turn. Nemo comes in. Nemo sits down. <laughs> Nemo's my nine-year-old. Big heart. Nemo, I said, are, who's going to heaven? And he said, anyone who trusts in God. And I said, Nemo, are you going to heaven? Most likely, yes. <laughs> Stoic, most likely, yes. <laughs> I had to bite my tongue. I was like, honest. Appreciate that. Why are you most likely Yes, going to heaven, Nemo. <laughs> because I trust in the Lord, that's what he said. And I said, who's not going to heaven, Nemo? He said, Satan. <laughs> <laughs> Out of here. <laughs> then I brought in Acacia, my seven-year-old daughter. I said, Acacia. She thought she was in trouble too, stoic, you know, had her little beanie on, wearing her little punky Brewster outfit. And Keisha, who's going to heaven? And this is her answer. Jesus. I mean you. I mean me. I mean Jesus. I mean me. 
I mean, anyone who believes in Jesus and is baptized and says prayers. And she just, I just, she just kept, it was so, Jesus, I mean you, I mean me, I mean Jesus, I mean me. I mean, anybody who says prayer, who's baptized and says prayers. And she had it down. She kept going. She's a, a, a female, so she's going to keep talking. So I was okay. <laughs> Boys, one-liners, what's next? Moving on. And her heart, I just loved it. And I asked her the next question, are you going to heaven? Yes, exclamation point. I said, why are you going to heaven? She said, because I want to. So I wrote that down. She said, and I believe in Jesus, and I love God, and he's the one who made me. I, I just love her answer. It's more, you know, thoughtful, because like, I want to go. I thought that was very profound. Believe it or not, not everyone wants to go to heaven through, through hardness of heart, bitterness, unbelief, rebellion, and I'm so blessed to hear, I want to go. I want to go. Even in this room, there's some people who are so pharisaical and proud of themselves Heaven will be fine. I've got my own little kingdom now. I'm not, not really looking forward to it. I'm totally looking forward to heaven. I cannot wait to tap out, check out, freak out. Man, this world is so nuts. I'm so nuts. I can't wait. And she's like, I want to go to heaven. And then the final question I asked Acacia, Acacia, who's not going to heaven? She squinted her eyes. She said, I don't know. Because I know lots of people who don't believe in Jesus but they could change their mind, so I don't know. And that, that missionary heart, you know, the boys are more cataclysmic. Anybody who doesn't believe, next. You know, like, <laughs> goats over here, sheep over here, what? <laughs> Acacia's like, hey, they could repent. I don't know. There's lots of people, lots of people who don't know Jesus yet, but they could change their mind, so I don't know. She's got that missionary lost. But the question for you who are probably saved here, as most people are saved here this morning, where do you get your righteousness from? Where do you get that peace in your own heart? The question this parable seeks to address is, where do you get your righteousness from? Where's your justification from? And there's only two categories that you can pull your answer from for the rest of your lives, and everybody pulls in the entire world from these two categories. One is works-based righteousness, and one is gift-based righteousness. Your righteousness, your justification, your good standing either comes from works, what you've done, or a gift from what God has done. Every single person, every single place will draw from one of two categories. And the majority of our world and the majority of Christendom today vacillates and hangs out in and camps in works-based righteousness. I do good, I feel good, I do bad, I feel bad. Have you been there before? And this man shows up and he cries out, Lord, don't just be merciful to me. A sinner, not even like with sinners or I know sinners or I have sinned. I'm a sinner. And he leaves justified. And this other man had done great things and yet was an offense to the Lord. Now you guys gotta, you guys gotta understand this a little bit. When we're talking about righteousness, justification, pureness, and holiness. We're not talking on a scale here of better than others. Don't raise your hand. How many of you guys are better than other people, like some people? How many people are there better than you? There's a few people better than you too. Like you're, you're not the worst person in the world. You're not the best person in the world, but you're, you know, you're doing all right. When it comes down to it, God's gonna look at you and say, man, there were so many people worse than you. Come on in. 
This is a thought. This is what a lot of people are like banking on. Like, you know, there's so many bad people out there. I'm not the worst. Like, that doesn't matter, you know. We're talking about righteousness. We're talking about purity and holiness and rightness, absolute rightness. Only person who's this way is God himself. Okay, he's right, he's pure, he's holy, he's grand, never bad, always good, he's amazing. The Bible says in the book of Genesis that God created man and woman in his image. We were actually like that at our first at bat. Adam and Eve, perfect. No problems, no sin, no shadows, no weaknesses, no problems. And yet when faced with, a, uh, with temptation and rebellion, Adam and Eve both fell and succumbed to that temptation Therefore, modeling what you and I would also struggle with in our battles. You know what the Bible says God did? He showed up into the garden, and he covered their nakedness. He covered their rebellion and sin. What did he cover it with? Remember what they covered it with? Poison ivy. <laughs> the Bible says they covered themselves with poison ivy and raspberry bushes. Like, this sucks. You know, like, this isn't working. Tree leaves. It didn't work. And God says, no, it's not going to work. And he instead provided the skin of an animal. Now, there weren't any dead animals yet. No, there weren't dead animals all over the garden. He provided a dead animal's skin for them. What this implies is that somebody had to die in order to cover their now nakedness that was exposed. There was a sacrifice. This foreshadowing Jesus, the Lamb of God, who would cover your sins, your mistakes, your failures. There's no such thing as cheap grace or easy believism. There's nothing cheap or easy about the death and suffering of Jesus. And all of this foreshadows what he would then offer to you. And your righteousness that comes from God is a gift that he shares with you when you're covered with what Christ has shared with you, his perfection. God is not varied or vacillated or compromised one iota, not a little bit, not at all. And yet he extends himself to you and to me. Now, you guys know that in Genesis chapter 4, after they were covered with this innocent animal, Cain and Abel began to then make produce of their own, and they both brought an offering to the Lord. Cain brought an offering of the ground, that which he had worked hard and all the stuff he had made, and he brought it to the Lord, his own righteousness, and it was not respected by the Lord. And Abel brought to God the fat of an animal, the sacrifice of an animal that God had created, and it was a sacrifice given to him that God had made himself, and God says, I'll take that. And all of this, again, foreshadows where does our righteousness come from? What makes you different? What makes you acceptable? What makes you justified in God's eyes, which is the most important thing in the world? But then how does that trickle down into how you look in your own eyes? How others might look to you? Are you justified in God's eyes? Are you righteous in his eyes? Oh, you're the righteousness of God. Because if we're not careful, we're going to lift ourselves up too much on any given day. And if we're not careful, we're going to beat ourselves up on any given day. And if we're not careful, we're going to look down upon every single person on any given day. Because of the stuff they're doing wrong, because of the stuff we're doing right. When we talk about righteousness, we need to go all the way back to Jesus and what he is and what he offers for us. Because what happens is, is we all make our own little lists, Right? Each one of us here has a list of to-dos and a list of to-don'ts. Each one of us has a running list, and sometimes those to-dos are so high, so we take those off and say, I'll work on that next year, you know, <laughs> first of the year. And we all have this list. If I do this, I feel good. If I don't do that and avoid that, I feel good as well. It's called moralistic therapeutic deism, where you seek to worship your morals 
And therefore, it adds to you a moralistic, therapeutic, deistic feeling. When you do good, you feel good. And when you don't do bad, you feel good. And if you do bad, you feel bad. And if you don't do good, you feel bad. And Jesus comes and says, what the heck are you doing? <laughs> this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. Remember Jesus, or God's words about his son? Jesus. It's about Jesus. And so Jesus here, when he gives all these teachings, he looks at these Pharisees who are proud of themselves, and he looks at these other people who are maybe beating themselves up, and he says, I came to nullify all of that, to take away your own righteousness, and throw it away, and offer you mine, and to take away and cover your unrighteousness, your brokenness. This tax collector knew he was a bozo. He knew he was a crook, a failure, a loser, a jerk. And yet Jesus said, I don't look at you that way. You are justified. I will take from your account all of your sin, and I will pay for them. And I will then impute into your account all of my righteousness. It's called the great exchange, double imputation. Our sins, of those, if you're a believer, our sins are imputed into Christ's account when he pays for them. Whoa. And then into our account is imputed the righteousness of Christ. He makes that eternal deposit. He says, now you're co-heirs with me of the things of heaven. <laughs> like, what? How many of you guys checked your bank account last week? At least once, like you checked it. What is wrong with you people? <laughs> Do I check my pay? I, I don't know why I check it every day. Like, nothing changes. Like, I just see how bad it is. Like, ah, you know. And the Lord says about our spiritual bank account, you are co-heirs with me. Now, if you checked your bank account, like at the U.S. Bank or OCB or Umqua, wherever you bank at, Bank of the West, wherever you're at, and you went there and checked and there was multiplied zeros after the one, okay, in your bank account, this is what you have, would that change anything of the way you went to Fred Myers later on that day? Would you get maybe two cards or a bigger card or maybe a little bit, you know, maybe go upstairs. They have clothes upstairs, but I can't afford the clothes. They have clothes, you know. Woo, you're going to get stuff. And yet our list sometimes, spiritually, ah, I can't access the righteousness of Christ, the riches of heaven. I don't deserve that. I didn't get up early, went to bed late, was watching dumb stuff, didn't pray, didn't journal. I'm all messed up. I can't tap into the righteousness of God. I have not, I have not earned it. Time out. Is that how we approach the throne of grace to obtain mercy in our time of need? <laughs> With our offerings? Everybody does this, by the way, religious people like us and irreligious people like the rest of the world. Everyone has their list of to-dos and to-don'ts that makes them feel right or feel wrong, okay? The lists are crazy, and, and, and it's, it's so, you could just imagine or examine yourself this week. We have all kinds of lists that make us feel good. Some of us are on diets right now, and you feel good, and, and you're doing good stuff, and you ask people, are you on a diet right now? And you ask the people that aren't on a diet because it makes you feel better about yourself, and and you love to look down your nose with contempt at them, and you tell them what you haven't eaten that week and what you don't eat, and, you know, I do keto, I'm paleo, I'm Whole30, you know, I'm, I'm doing all this, what are you doing? You're like, ah, oh, I'm, I'm into fitness as well, I'm into fitness, everything in my mouth, you know, like, ah! Oh. And we just, it's simple, you know, you could do it with diet, you could do it with exercise, whatever thing you're doing now, I'm doing the aerobics, I'm doing CrossFit, I'm doing cross-training, you know, maybe it's money, you know, you ask somebody who doesn't know anything about Bitcoin, hey, you got your Bitcoins yet, you know, oh, you don't have, oh, you 
don't have Bitcoin, you know, and condescending because we got something figured out that we think, or maybe you're so proud of yourself for the things you do for our, our ecology and the, the, the world around us. You ride the bus, you recycle, you have a Prius, you garden, you use your own rainwater, which is illegal, you know, and you drink almond milk. You would never hurt a chicken for that, you know, or wait, that's a cow. Anyway, you, you do stuff and you only feed your dog organic dog treats. You would never give them that Purina stuff, you know. And you just look, we condescend against people. And here's the deal. None of those convictions I just read were bad. Those are all good things. But we tend to put them in the list of my righteousness. Where does your righteousness come from? Why are you considered righteous in God's eyes? Is it because you do all those things well and you should do things well? But it's not in your doing things well that God says, good job for what you've done. He specifically says, look at what my son has done. He has done well every single time. He has never failed, and he has given his life for your sins, and he has offered his righteousness to you. Are you excited about that? And if you're excited about that, beating your own breast, saying, Lord, forgive me. Oh, don't even look at me. I'm just a sinner. Oh, guess what? That humility. Now get up. No more self-abasement. We're not talking about that. The righteousness of Christ has been given to you. And yet you and I, it'll set you free. I don't know about how your week went last week. My week wasn't great. I just didn't have an emotionally sound week. It just wasn't, I wasn't fired up, wasn't freaking out, wasn't having a great, just didn't feel good. Maybe it's something in the air. Maybe it's fall. I don't know what it is. But if you really understand how God looks at you, it'll change everything. And there's somebody here waiting for a breakthrough. As soon as I quit this addiction, as soon as I get back, as soon as I get 30 days of sobriety under my belt, I'll feel good again. As soon as I'm able to stop that, as soon as I'm able to justify myself, I'll, I'll, I'll be free again. You, you should aim for 30 days of sobriety or more. You should go for those things. But your righteousness is right now in Jesus' name. And people sell out for the craziest causes. I mean, people get so excited about certain things. Have you gotten excited about weird stuff? One of the weirdest causes of excitement I've ever seen is right here on the Oregon coast. You'll see them occasionally when you see that, that car with that bumper sticker that says, don't touch seal pups. <laughs> and I just see this car, I'm like, you have one bumper sticker on your car. Like one message to communicate. Don't touch the seal pups. And if you don't touch the seal pups, You've done a good job. Now, I've lived on the Oregon coast now for a collective of about 16, maybe 17 years, and I'm just here to say right now, I have never touched a seal pup. <laughs> never done it. I've never even had the opportunity to touch a seal pup. I actually did one time, and I was about to touch it just for spite. I was like, I want to touch that sucker. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> and, I just, and this is me just being a weirdo, because, hey, guess what? God loves seal pups, and you shouldn't touch a seal pup, okay? Don't do it. But people get excited about certain causes, a friend of mine on Facebook recently had a birthday, and, and he wanted everyone to donate money to this one particular organization that finds wounded animals in the forest and puts them back together again and helps them have a great life in the forest by themselves again. And you know what? God loves the wounded animals in the forest, and so do we, and, and so do I, and so should you. But, but, but people get excited about their causes, what they're living for, and they find their righteousness then steeped and founded in those things. And when you or I get to heaven, and he says, why should I let you in? I was pro seal pup. Never touched one. Turned some kids in that were trying to mess with one. You know, that's, it's not going to cut it. It's not going to cut it. And again, I'm talking to you guys who aren't looking for your justification in those, those areas necessarily. But we do this. We do this. We judge others. We judge them at work. 
we judge them while we drive. Have you ever driven on Highway 101 and you're the only person that knows how to drive? No one else is qualified. No one else is qualified, especially in the summertime. You ever seen people in their big old RVs? They're not qualified. Because you're the judge. You're doing it better than they are. They're in our town and you're just, you're so bent out of shape. And we judge people at school. We judge people at work. We judge people at church. People who show up late or their phone rings during the service or spill their coffee or all three of those things happen. We just can't believe they didn't silence their phone. First thing Pastor Luke said to do is silence your phone. I've always silenced my phone. I don't even bring my phone. You know, why are you going to heaven? I never touch the seal pup and I always touch my phone, you know. <laughs> Woo! And you should never touch a seal pup or not silence your phone. <laughs> this happens at the grocery store too. You'll see people with their carts and you talk to them and you just glance. You ever do a cart glance? Like, oh, what are you doing? You know, you look at their cart, you know. And, and sometimes you're in your, you're, you're, you ever go through Fred Myers and what's in your cart you don't want anybody else to see, so you hide it under stuff. It's like, I don't want anybody to see this. And recently at Fred Myers, they had a sale. It was like 10 bottles of wine gets like a big discount. So all these people had just 10, 20, 30 bottles of wine in their cart. And they're like looking around like, no, I don't want to be seen as a wine. I was like, we judge people though. And people are scared. I didn't take advantage of that. Just so you guys know, I did not. I didn't do it. Constantly applauding ourselves, tearing others down. Sometimes we tear ourselves down and applaud others wrongfully, and uh, we, we have our list. Jesus says, this, this story is so fascinating, because in that day, this would make no sense. They would have started laughing. Are you kidding? The tax collector left justified, and the Pharisee who did all those things, he left unrighteous? It doesn't make any sense. I don't even believe it. I don't even believe it, because I need to give you guys a few thoughts. I'm going to rip through these quickly. Several reasons why works righteousness is actually considered unrighteousness. What you do and you think is righteous to the Lord is unrighteous. That's crazy talk. This guy was holy, praying, giving, abstaining. God said, ding, 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 you're out. Because when it's works-based, these things, I'll list them quickly. I'll be going through them in all three services. You can just sit tight and memorize them later. Write them down. Number one, it's man-centered and not God-centered. This man prayed, I, 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 I. Five times he referenced himself, once he referenced God. The Bible actually says when he prayed, he prayed thus to himself. He wasn't even praying to God. He was going over his list of what he'd done right. He was so proud of himself. Works-based righteousness is not man's, or God-centered, it's man-centered. Number two, works righteousness compares us to someone other than Jesus Christ. He compared himself to the tax collector. You're going to be gonna be tempted to do this. Compare yourself to me. You're going to compare yourself to somebody else. You're going to compare yourself to some leader. Don't do that. Don't, that's works-based righteousness. Number three, works righteousness, our performance establishes our worth. If you do really good, you're worth a lot. If you do really poorly, you're not worth anything. That is not how Jesus looks at you. Your worth is established in the fact that you were created in God's image. You're his kids. My three, when, you're, when you had your firstborn child, did you know your child didn't have to do anything, anything at all for you to value that child? When your kid was born, you valued that child immensely because they were your kid. Imagine if when your firstborn kid was born, you looked at them and said, say dada, you know, day one. Come on, come on, you got, all right, welcome back, we'll try again later, you know? And you walk off because they didn't do nothing. No, no. They're crying, pooping, peeing everywhere, and they're the best thing in the world, making a mess. Workspace righteousness is about your worth, not what God deems. Number four, 
it focuses on external and ignores the internal. Jesus said they trusted in themselves. We all have faith in something. The question is, what's our faith in? Is it in Jesus or is it in yourself? Number five, works-based righteousness is unrighteous because it's a false system that God is not the judge, but people are. This is one of the ones that will mess you up the most. You do and perform and say and want other people to think certain things because they're your judge in a works righteousness system when God says, no, I'm the judge. You need to live for an audience of one. Number six, works righteousness leads to pride. Did you know that pride is a worse sin than smoking meth? I wanted to post that on Facebook, but I figured it would cause too much confusion. (laughs) I'll try it with you guys first. Do you know Satan did not get cast out of heaven for being a meth addict? He wasn't hooked on meth. Like, oh, you're on meth? Get out of here. You can't be in heaven. What got Satan banished from heaven was pride. Pride in who he was, what he'd done, what he wanted. And that pride, and this is crazy, this might really mess with you or set you free. And the way we criticize other people that do things less than us, works-based righteousness creates pride than smoking, than addiction, than other sins. I believe pride is one of the mothers of all sins. So don't get me wrong, those other things aren't right. They're sinful as well. But pride, what if you don't smoke meth? Good job, you shouldn't smoke meth. Stop it. But watch out for the pride that you have. Or maybe we'll talk about cigarettes. How many of you guys don't raise your hand have quit smoking cigarettes before? You used to smoke cigarettes, you used to be a nicotine addict, now you're not. I'm one of those people. And I have a proclivity, a tendency to look at people who are still smoking, and if I'm not careful, I'll judge them for still smoking. When at one point I smoked, and I was just as deceived or caught and weak and as they are. And who am I to say, oh, I, I, got, I, I figured that out now. I'm up here and you're down here. Eh. Works-based righteousness causes contempt and judgment, false judgment towards other people, pride. Number seven, I got to keep moving here. It causes contempt instead of compassion. Wouldn't it be awesome if you saw people caught up in certain things or going through a divorce, losing their house, and instead of having contempt, like, really? Really? Which, which I've done. Have you had that reaction to somebody whose life falls apart? When it, works-based righteousness does not allow you to have compassion on somebody who just got picked off who everything just fell apart. Wouldn't it be awesome if this Pharisee who was a spiritual leader looked at this tax collector and said, dude, I haven't seen you at church in a while. What are you doing here? I need help, dude. I'm all messed up. Working for the Romans. I need. What if instead of comparing himself to him, he grabbed him up and said, let's work together. I'm so glad you're here. God loves you just the way you are, but he loves you too much to let you stay this way. Let's move forward. Number eight, workspace righteousness is an offense to the Lord. It's absolutely offensive to him. When you seek to be justified in your own eyes by what you've done, no matter how small it is, it's as if you're presenting to the Lord your works above his son's work. This would be like if I took a fresh glass of water and threw it into the ocean and said, there, be purified. (laughs) Or be added to. Yeah, we were running out and I helped. Or if you took your Bic lighter, if you have a Bic lighter, later on today and said, son, I noticed your absence today. I got your back. I'll bring warmth and illumination to our state. <laughs> and when you present to the Lord, hey, look what I've done. He's like, whoa, appreciate that. 
Good job. And yet we pat ourselves on the back. I'm going to give these two illustrations quickly. The Bible actually says in the book of Isaiah and the book of Philippians that when we lean on our own works and righteousness, it's as if we're presenting to the Lord two very filthy things. The book of Isaiah chapter 64 says it's as if you're presenting to the Lord a used menstrual rag. Philippians chapter 3 goes on to say, Paul says, all the things I presented to the Lord are like a big pile of steaming poo. Now, I don't know if those are biblical terms, so sorry about that. I don't know of anything more detestable to present to somebody as a gift. Can you imagine if you had a birthday party <laughs> and your friend showed up and, and said, I made something for you. And, and you, you open it up and, wow, you did make this all by yourself. What are you thinking? God says that, read it. He says, when you try and live your way for your own good and in your own power. And so instead he says, I want to cover you. I'm going to have the worship team come up and I want you to hear these last points. Here's what we need to do. What do we do then? Number one, we want to be like this guy. You want to come into God's presence humbly, not pridefully. This man wouldn't even look up. He stood afar off. Number two, don't make excuses for your sin. Wouldn't this be awesome? I was praying this morning and late last night for grace and mercy for today, and I, I realized that I hadn't labeled my sins. I, I, had, I just, you know, I know all my sins. You know your sins. And I hadn't gone through them. Lord, I'm actually, I'm actually guilty of that this week. But I want to just put that out there. I don't just want to lay, I just want to, I don't want to just broad brush it. This is a sin, Lord. Don't make excuses. Come to the Lord humbly. Identify your stuff. Say, Lord, this is an issue in my life. Would you cover it? Thirdly, instead of comparing yourself to others, compare yourself to Jesus. Right now, if you leave here today and think, I'm going to try and do it today. I'm going to look at other people that are doing less good than I am. I'm going to feel great about myself. Don't do that. Look at Jesus who calls us to forgive our enemies, to pray for those who spitefully use us to serve and to love and to sacrifice. And then when you find yourself compared to Jesus, you'll be brought to that place of humility. These last points are so important. I want you to hear this loud and clear. What do we, what do, we do with this workspace righteousness quandary? You need to receive the gift of God's grace this morning. He offers grace to you. He offers his righteousness to you. He actually offers his Holy Spirit to you to sanctify you in the work he's called you to. If you would today, as we come to the table, as we respond, as we say, Lord, what have I been doing? Maybe you're on the prideful side. You're so proud of yourself. Or maybe you're in the ditch right now. You're so depressed. You're so overwhelmed because you can't quit smoking. You quit, can't quit that thing. You can't move on. And you need to be like this man who says, Lord, be merciful to me. And receive the Lord's mercy. Receive his grace. Receive his Holy Spirit to walk forward. The Lord does not want you to leave here this morning the same as you came in. He wants you to leave with a fresh dose of grace, humility, and spiritual power to be the person he wants you to be. This message that Jesus tells us is one of the greatest messages in the Bible that this unrighteous tax collector left justified and righteous before God. It's the best thing you'll ever hear. It's the good news of Jesus Christ. Now I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes, and we're going to take communion together and celebrate how this was purchased for us on the cross. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, in Jesus' name now, we thank you 
that you take everything, all of our lists, and turn them upside down. All the lists of what we've done right, you say, eh. And all the lists of the things we've tried not to do wrong, but we have offended. And you cover that. Colossians chapter 2 says, the handwriting of requirements against us, the sins we've committed, has been blotted out with the blood of Jesus Christ that our righteousness is firmly founded in you, that our worth is in Jesus, that our value is in heaven, that our purpose is in eternity, that our power is in the Spirit, that our hope is in the grace, that our message is one of mercy. If you're here today and you just want to revel, maybe for the first time, maybe for the first time in a long time, in the righteousness that is a gift from God to you, you just right now, if you need that, you've been doing it differently, you've been looking to yourself, you're proud of yourself, or you're really mad at yourself, what are the, whatever the case is, but right now you want to repent of that, and you want to be proud of Jesus, would you just raise your hand up right now, in Jesus' name, you want your righteousness, your worth, your well-being, your purpose, your future, your past, your present, all to be wrapped up in who Jesus is, raise up your hands right now, in Jesus' name, Lord, my hands are up too, in Jesus' name, I repent, Lord, have mercy on me, Lord, a wretched sinner. Make my righteousness, Lord, to be that that is gifted. Make our righteousness to be gifted, Lord. Not workspace. Forgive us for being proud of ourselves. Or forgive us, Lord, for being hostile towards others. Or forgive us for being mad at ourselves, Lord. May we be proud of Jesus. Lord, we raise our hands to that. And we're going, you can put your hands down. And we're going to drink to that, Lord. We're going to take the bread and take the cup and lift it high and say, Thank you, Jesus, for your broken body your spilled blood for our righteousness that it's not about us it's about what you have done and may that faith lord be established here we examine ourselves and we indeed are that man that second man that latter man wretched sinners have mercy on us and we believe lord as we take that cup as we tilt our heads back we are justified through your death burial and resurrection we do what we do now, proclaiming your death until you return. In Jesus' name we pray.